I am speaking this morning, uh, my theme or my title is Making Plans God's Way. Uh, it almost sounds presumptuous, uh, maybe that either God has a way or that we know what it is, but presumption aside, that's where we're heading. Uh, decision making, uh, some of you are old enough to have been around to remember, uh, 20 to 30 years ago, a big book on the Christian market was Decision Making and the Will of God. And it sought to treat this topic of, uh, does God really have a perfect will? And if He does, how do you go about finding it? Uh, because as Christians, most of us struggle with trying to determine uh, what to do. If we're confronted with a situation, we've got options, we're thinking, how do I determine what the best thing is? And so under that hat, things like, how can I know I'm making the best choice? Will I regret the tomorrow, what I choose today? How does God interact in the choices I make? Is there such a thing as God's perfect will? There's a, there's a huge arena here of thought. Um, how do we go about making choices, decisions? We're not going to look at most of what's underneath that broad topic this morning. We're going to have a, a narrower focus still related to that, though, related to making plans. Not choices broadly, necessarily, but how do we make plans for the future more narrowly? The reason I'm teaching on this in May, you know, December, the end of the year, we know a thing has come to the end. And so we're thinking about how did things go January is around the corner, so in January or December, we're making plans for the new year. May's another transitional point, though. I mean, in, in a church our size, too, you think of how many people are on a school schedule here. School's ending. And for some people, that means uh, graduation. So we've got some graduates in our midst this morning. Where's Steve? Steve Golden. Show him a little respect. Because Steve's a master. He's a master of the English, the English language. Steve graduated with his master's yesterday from Emporia. But we've got high school graduates, college graduates. So many of us are saying, um, one thing has ended. What do I do for the future? What are my plans for the future? Where am I going to go to school? Or where am I going to go to seminary? Or I'm done with school. I've got to start looking for a job. What do I look for? I've got to start a career. Or I've got to start a new career, and I'm looking down the road and I'm trying to figure out what to do. How do I make plans for the future? That's what we're talking about this morning. Now, before I even start the conversation uh, properly, it, it might be good to ask this question. Do we care what God thinks of the plans we make for the future? Do we even care at all? Is God in the equation as we look down the road, and we're making our plans. You guys know, I've talked about this in the past, statistically, there's not a dime's worth of difference between Christians in this country and pagans. The way we act, not a dime's worth of difference. You look at all the rates, we're the same, pretty much. So it's a good question to ask, even Sunday morning in a church service, do we give a rip, really, about what God thinks about the plans for our life? Do we care? If you don't, and, and we might not, we might not. If you don't, I got a couple verses for you just to share, just to maybe pique your interest that it's worth caring about. And by the way, these verses have particular application if you're a high schooler, if you're a college student, 
or if you're young career age, and I say this because the verses were written to people in that age bracket, written to people at your stage of life, high school, college, and young career, teenage into the 20s, kind of the time of life when you're making up your mind about where you're going. The first one is this, and Solomon, the wisest of men, uh, penned both of these short passages I'll quote for you, but the first is this, Ecclesiastes 11.9. I love this verse. Rejoice, young man, we could add this morning, young women, during your childhood, when you're little, and then let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, young womanhood, as you're growing up. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. We'd say, hey, do whatever you want to do. Do as you please. The world's out there. Do whatever you want. But then he concludes with this. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So, yeah, life's out there. And you can do anything you want and help yourself while you're at it. But remember this. At the end of the day, you will give account for all those decisions you've made in this life. And in front of a holy God, whose life you are, you're His life, He owns you, that's a potentially scary thing. So live your life in view that you will give account. God will bring every act into judgment. The other one is this. This is out of Proverbs 8. Um, If you guys read the book of Proverbs, you know this. Um, Proverbs uh, personifies wisdom. And we're, we're applying this to making plans for the future. This, this would be true broadly, but just thinking narrowly about making plans for the future. But in Proverbs, wisdom is personified. And she's this lovely, gracious woman. And she invites you to come into her house and sit down at the feast she's prepared for you. But, but uh, wisdom in Proverbs could be like maybe other women you know. If you spurn her, it will be to your... Your sorrow. Because Proverbs says, in, in uh, wisdom says in one portion of Proverbs, when you reject me and you call for me later, I'm going to laugh. When your calamity comes upon you because you've rejected all my counsel, I'm going to laugh at you. So rejecting wisdom is a big deal. In Proverbs 8, Solomon said, Blessed is the man who listens to me. And in the scriptures, blessed, this means happy. It means successful. It's the kind of life most of us want. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. In other words, we have an attitude. We want to be wise. We want to know how to live life appropriately in a way that honors the Lord. Why? Because he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If you find wisdom, God's kind of life, knowing what life is and how to live it wisely according to God, you find favor from the Lord In contrast, he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me, now catch this, love death. The person in Ecclesiastes who just lives life on their own terms, Proverbs says they love death. They don't love life, they love death. Later in Proverbs 14, 12, Solomon says this, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In other words, if you and I negotiate life on our own terms, we look around, we say, this is what makes sense to me. This is what I want. This is what I want to get out of life. Proverbs says, we can do that. It seems right. It seems appealing. But at the end of the day, it brings death. And if you miss it at Proverbs 14, 12, the same words are repeated in Proverbs 16, 25. 
That's generally significant. If God repeats a thing, he's saying, get a hold of this. So there is a way that seems right to us. We live life on our own terms. We make plans as we see fit. Generally, those plans end in death. It's getting a hold of God's sense of things, wisdom, that brings life. Doing things God's way brings life. Isaiah 32.8 is a contrast to this. It says, The noble man devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. In contrast to the person who lives life on their own terms, their own wisdom, this is what I want, this is how I'll get it, ends in death. Isaiah says, you know, a noble person, this is godly, this is honorable, this is wise. A noble person can make noble plans and stand. In other words, not fall down, not be destroyed, not be subject to judgment. So, It's in our best interest if we're thinking about the future, and I'm thinking school, summer jobs, careers, second careers, marriages, I mean, you name it. It makes sense to try and get a hold of God's God's version of what your future might look like. I'll give four things. We'll talk about four things here related to making plans God's way. The first is this. First and most important is this. A simple pray. Pray. Now, I know this sounds like a no-brainer, but it is not. And if you look at your own life, I'll bet you'll see why. Uh, Prayer is not normally what we do first. It's what we do last. Right? We make our plans, and then roadblocks hit, something falls apart, and then we decide it's time to pray. The better time to pray, it's fine to pray when things fall apart. That's a good thing. But the better time to pray, the best time to pray is on the front end. As you're in the process of making decisions, as you're looking down the road and saying, I've got options, I've got decisions to make, plans to make, That's the time to pray, to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do here? What's your best plan for this scenario and these decisions before me? There's a great story in Joshua 9 about Israel coming into the land. And they've had these great victories. The 40 years are over. They're coming into the land of promise. And they've had some great military victories. And kind of wandering down the road one day comes this little little group of guys. And they say, uh, we've heard about you and your God, and we live a long, long way away. And their sandals are worn out, and their clothes are raggedy, and the bread in their pouch, it's all moldy and crusty. And they said, you know, we live so far away from you that when we left, these were new sandals, new clothes, and this bread was fresh out of the oven. But it's taken us so long to get here. But we, we had to come, we wanted to pay our respects, and we wanted to make an agreement with you that uh, we won't hurt you and you won't hurt us. And Joshua and the elders of Israel hear these guys, look them over, and they say, well, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We appreciate your respect coming out and talking to us, and, and we'll make that covenant with you. We'll agree not to hurt you, and you'll agree not to hurt us. And, of course, there was a problem with all this. Uh, It's that these guys didn't live a a far way away, did they? They lived right in the center of the promised land. They're the Gibeonites, and they were more shrewd than the Israelis. But this was the deal. The key verse in the story is this, Joshua 9, verse 14, says they did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They made a decision based on appearances. They didn't even consider asking God what he thought. And the trouble was this. They were under command from God to make no covenant with any of the people in the land. 
Because God had warned them, if you guys don't destroy and drive out the inhabitants of the land, whom, by the way, I've given 400 years to repent, out of Genesis, the cup of their sin has filled up and it's overflowing. If you don't get rid of the people in the land, they'll be like a thorn in your side. They worship idols. And what will happen is you'll join with them. And so you cannot have anything to do with anybody in the land when you come in. You've got to get rid of them. But the Gibeonites, they're spared. And they're a thorn in their side for generations to come because they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. They made a decision based on appearances and they regretted it for generations afterwards. When we're making plans for the future, we need God's wisdom whether we think we do or not. So for instance, in James 1 verse 5, James says, If you lack wisdom... And of course, part of the thing is you've got to know that you need wisdom before this hits you. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives to all generously. He doesn't reproach. He doesn't tell you quit asking. And it will be given to Him. It will be given. If you're making plans and you need wisdom, God has it. Ask Him and He'll give it to you. And without getting too far into... Uh, well, without getting in at all, I'll just mention... You know, when you're thinking about plans in my life, does God have a perfect will? We're not going there this morning, but I will say this. Scripture is clear that God does have plans for your life, whether they're exhaustive or not. God has plans for your life. So, for instance, Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. God says, I will show you the way you should go, which means there's some ways you should go, and there's other ways you shouldn't go. God says, I'll show you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That is, if you'll listen to God, He'll give you His advice. He'll give you His take. Things that you don't know and you can't see, they're available if you'll ask Him. Because He has a way He thinks you should go, and His way means blessing and life. Jeremiah has two verses along this thing about making plans. One is Jeremiah 10.23. Jeremiah says this, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah says, Lord, I've looked at myself and I've looked at others, and I know this, that we're not big enough to make our own decisions or run our own lives. We're walking, we're putting one, one foot in front of the other, but we're not big enough to choose the way we should go. None of us are. It's not in man who walks to direct his steps. We need someone above us who has a bigger perspective who can show us and tell us which way to go. And then a passage many of you know already, Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, I think Bob prayed this in Sunday school. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. God was talking to... Israel in a time of great judgment when things really looked bad and down. But even then he said, I have a plan for you. And it's life. And it's hope. And it's a future. So God does have plans for your life. Absolutely. And it's incumbent on us to ask him about them. Let me close this section with this verse, two verses out of Proverbs 5. The deal on this thing with praying is, it displays the right kind of attitude we need if we're going to get God's advice. That is, it's humility on our part 
and his trust or confidence in God himself. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, well-known verses, trust in the Lord, not yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, just what you can see, just what you can learn, just what you can find out. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You guys know in the scriptures, uh, life's a path. And walking down the straight path, that's the life of blessing. If you go to the left or the right, you're getting off what God wants for you. So we entrust ourselves to God. We don't lean on our own understanding. Pray, the first thing. Ask God for wisdom in those plans that you're making. The second one is this. This will sound somewhat contradictory, perhaps. But it's uh, do your homework. Do your homework. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, really, God will whisper. And he, you'll know exactly what He wants you to do. Or you'll read your Bible. You're praying about something. You're making plans. And you'll read your Bible and there will be a verse there that you know is God's answer to your question. But you know what? More often than not, that's not the way it works. I mean, if we're wise enough to want God's input, most of the time we feel like we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and God's not saying a thing. We're asking for wisdom. We're asking for God to reveal His plan and we don't get it. We don't feel like anything's coming through. The radio's off or the antenna's down or whatever. But generally, one of the things God does when we're making plans for the future, and this is true about decisions in general, God is using that as a process to help us grow up because He wants us to become more and more like Himself. And so part of that means He wants us to grow in our understanding and in our discernment, understanding the way He sees things, He sees things, the things He values, what that means for us and our plans for the future. That helps us grow into the people He wants us to be. So, for instance, in Hebrews 5.14, it says, A solid food, thinking about a spiritual truth, solid food are for the mature. They're mature because they have practiced their senses. They're trained to discern good and evil. So, in the decision-making process and in us making plans for the future, God uses that as a process or a mechanism by which He helps us to grow up value the things he values, see things the way he sees them. So this is a good thing. So sometimes he'll, the answer to your prayer for wisdom is direct. More often than not, it's not. It's indirect. So two things along this line. As part of giving due diligence in making plans, the first thing is this. Get advice or input from other people you know and trust. Get advice from others that you know and trust. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear... An increase in learning, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Wise counsel. Counsel just means advice when you're making a decision. So in Proverbs, you're wise if you seek the advice or the counsel of others when you're making plans for the future. And by the way, in the ancient world, this was standard. And in our own world today, if you think of it too, if you read the news... You'll often read something like the uh, president and his advisors. Or if you're reading about financial news, they'll talk about financial advisors, the same thing. That people who exercise oversight or responsibilities in areas they're not expert in know, I need advice from someone else. And so they get it. And Proverbs says, God says through Proverbs, we need to ask other people for advice and counsel in those areas we don't know as much as we could or should or need to at the moment when making those decisions. 
So ask advice from others. Proverbs 13.10 says, through insolence, this would be uh, pride, I don't need you or anybody else. Through insolence comes nothing but strife. Wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Wisdom is with those who are open to hearing advice from others. When I go to the restaurants, this is a small thing, I always ask the waiter or the waitress what their favorite dish is. And I remember one uh, time being with my family in a restaurant, I was the only happy one there. And it's because I ordered what the waiter said his favorite dish was. And no one else did. And I loved my meal. And they didn't. And it was just because I asked somebody that works there that should know. What, what do you guys do here well? But asking advice, it's simple. The second one is this. Do your homework, which just means study your options. Get as much information as you can as you're thinking about these things. What are the issues related to my plan, to the job or to the seminary or to the school or to the career, to the potential spouse? I mean, on and on, those future plans. What are the issues around that issue? What matters? What is it important for me to know? Jesus told a story in Luke 14 in which he presupposes that everyone in his audience would do due diligence, doing their homework before they start a matter. His point here was, if you're going to be his disciple, you needed to consider what the cost would be before you start down the road. But his whole teaching here hinges on the fact that everyone knew you don't dive blindly into something, you investigate it. So he says, starting at verse 28, which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who observe it begin to ridicule him. This man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus says it's a given. When he says, which one of you, he means none of you would start a project without doing your homework. So you'd figure out the cost of the stone and the mortar and what's the labor cost and what's the land cost you and seasonally, is it rainy or dry, etc., etc. It's a given, he says. You do those things. Or the other example here, a king's going to go out and meet another king in battle. He sizes it up. I can win this thing or I can't. I figure it out. I do my homework. I either head into the battle or I make terms before and call it quits and go home. But this is doing due diligence. We don't presume that God's going to throw lightning from heaven in answer to our prayer and show us what to do, sometimes as much as we want him to. More often than not, he allows us to do our homework, to get the counsel, to pray to him, to commit it to him, to trust him, and to make decisions. And by that process, we're growing more into his image and likeness. So you pray, you ask, you give due diligence, you get counsel, you do your own homework, and then you do this, you hold your plans lightly. You hold your plans very lightly indeed. James 4 says, uh, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, we'll spend a year, we'll engage in business, we'll make a profit. That's what we'll do. We're predicting the future. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You ought to say, if the Lord wills. It used to be uh, common if you were writing letters you would say DV, uh, 
Deus vol something, the Lord, Latin for Lord willing, from this passage. We'll see you next week, DV, Lord willing. That was appropriate. It was biblically sound. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says two things here. One, you don't know what will happen. In that business you just started next week, next month, next year, you don't know. Because you don't know what will happen tomorrow. There's no way. We don't know the future. So if I say confidently, James says arrogantly, evil, because I'm making too much of myself, this is what I'm going to do. These are my plans. This is where I'm going. This is what will happen. James says that attitude is evil because it makes too much of us. We, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can't predict the future. So don't go there. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We're going along. We've planned our route. We're going down the road. And at any given time, God may change that single footstep we take to the right or the left to get us where he wants us. So we've made our plans, we've prayed, we've counseled, etc. But God can still interrupt those plans because he's making changes we hadn't foreseen. You guys know too, if you've done this at all, um, when you make plans and you think they're great plans and you think you're in God's perfect will and then it all falls apart in front of you and you wonder either what you did wrong or why God didn't follow through the way you thought he would... This is, the, this is the experience most of us go through from time to time, at least. And, you know, there is no crisis. God, God's still God. He knew it was coming. We don't need to think of it that way. But what we do need to do is pick up the pieces and go on. Think of this. In our economy today, and, of course, this isn't just here. This is worldwide. you got the best and the brightest minds running companies in which the CEOs have lost your money and mine and their fortunes too. You know, the guys running the corporations that have lost all that money, it's not just us, it's them too. If you've looked at the statistics, guys who are worth $50 billion are worth $2 billion. Guys who are worth hundreds of millions are worth tens of millions. The best and the brightest have lost their shirts as well as ours in this economy. In other words, as smart as they were and as diligent as they worked, unforeseen forces still came into those markets and they lost money. This is going to happen. We're going to make plans. We're going to work hard at making good plans, plans that honor God, and some of that's still going to fall apart. And it's because that's the nature of life on this earth. It doesn't mean God quit being God. It doesn't mean He hasn't answered your prayers. It doesn't mean you're in sin. This is the nature of life on the earth. We hold those plans lightly because a lot of them are going to fall apart. Sometimes you'll talk about business people, the five-year plan, the three-year plan, the one-year plan. I preferred uh, my friend Marvin DeGroff. Marvin DeGroff's business model was you throw it against the wall and you see what sticks. And in the business models, you know, too, sometimes they talk about that. But the truth is business, five-year plans don't last. You never have a five-year plan for five years. It all changes because everything changes. Well, that's the way with your plans and mine, too. We're going to pray. We're going to ask for counsel. We're going to get the best help we can, best homework. But plans are going to change over time because that's the nature of life on the earth. And so because of that, lastly, put your confidence in God in the midst of all that. 
And I'm thinking particularly of the picture I get from Psalm 23. We are sheep. And that means, among other things, we're stupid. That we're not smart enough to run our own lives. We need somebody to lead us. And Jesus says in Psalm 23, that's what he is. That's his role. The Lord is my shepherd, I won't want. Why will I be okay? Because Jesus is the one leading my life. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He gets me where I need to be. He leads me. Who's the one leading me? Christ is the one leading me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now get this too, that last phrase there, for His name's sake. You know, if we have been the willful willful person who's done things our way, we've sown the wild oats or whatever, We've made the plans that were ours, not God's. And, and the uh, whirlwind has replaced the wind. We're reaping the fruits of our decisions. Uh, God is still committed to you. If you've blown it big time, God is still committed for His name's sake. I love this. See, even if you behave badly, and you do, and I do, even when we behave badly, God says He's committed as our shepherd for His name's sake. In other words, he can't work against his own nature, his own character, and his own commitments to us. So even if it all falls apart, or even if you're on the front end of making those plans, at the end of the day, this is where we rest. God, my confidence is not in my ability to make plans. It's not that I've got it all nailed down. It's at the end of the day, you're in control. And I'm holding those plans lightly, and I'm trusting that you'll be in the details. I tell my girls all the time, God is in the details. You make this plan, it doesn't come through. God's in the details. God's in that change. Don't worry about that. It's okay. So now, for many of us, time of year in which we're making a lot of decisions, we're thinking about plans, moving, careers, college, seminary, weddings, lots of plans. Whatever it is, pray about it. Ask God, Lord, what's your take? What do I need to know? What honors you in this? Do your homework. What do I need to find out about these things? What are the options I need to be aware of? Ask people who know, who can tell you something about it. Do your homework. Do due diligence in that process. Hold those plans lightly once you've made them, knowing that in all likelihood they're going to fall apart in short order and you'll be back in the process again. And ultimately, trust God for all that anyway. Let me close with a story, short story, true story. Years ago... There was a young guy who grew up, his greatest dream was to be uh, in the Navy. And his older brother was in the Navy. And quite successful, an older brother would come home with his friends, and they'd have these tales, these stories of adventure and success. And, and little brother's growing up just loving this. And little brother decides he wants to be in the Navy like big brother. And so literally from the time he's a little kid, as he's growing up into a young man, young, strapping, good-looking young man, um, he wants to be in the Navy. That's all the plans he can think about for his future and his career. And he's talked to his brother about it, and his brother says, hey, it's a great plan, I'm all for it, you should do it. And his father's died. So that's kind of an issue. So he talks to mom, and mom's not really thrilled about it. But at the end of the day, mom signs off and says, yeah, this is a good thing. I'm for it, you can go join the Navy. So... Finally, he's a teenager, he's grown up, he's ready to join the Navy, and literally he's standing on shore, 
in his new Navy uniform, with older brother at his side, kissing his mother goodbye to start his new career he's waited for, he's dreamed for, he's planned for. It's here. And, and this mother does what only a woman would do. She breaks down sobbing and crying, saying, please don't go. <laughs> so you imagine this guy. This is his life's dream and ambition. It's his career. And it's melting in his mom's tear water tea there as her tears hit the, hit the ground. All his plans are up in tears. Not up in smoke, up in tears. All his plans for that Navy career, it's all he thought about, planned about, got the counsel for, got approval for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Good to go. And all his plans fall apart right in front of him on the shore. Of course, he does not join the Navy. But you know, it's a good thing for us that he didn't, right? Because this was George Washington. And he would have been in the British Navy. He wouldn't have been our first president or our first general. He had his plans. His career was set. He was ready to go. And it falls apart in mom's tears there on the edge of the shore. God was in the details. And God had a plan for George. And you know, that plan affects you and me today. God was in the details. So think about this. Whatever the plans are you're making, whatever you're thinking about, whatever lies in front of you, honor God. You will not go wrong if you put God first. Lord, what, what are your priorities here? Get the counsel, do your homework, hold them lightly. When they fall apart, as they will. Trust God in that too. Father, thanks that you are our Father, that we can trust you. Lord Jesus, thanks that in your death on the cross, you proved above and beyond any and all doubt that you love us, that you have our best in mind. God, I pray that you would give us wise, discerning hearts, wise enough to trust you more than ourselves. God, Prevent from us the foolish, proud, vain attitude that we are adequate in any way to oversee and run our own lives. Help us to grow, Lord, in wisdom by exercising discernment. You talk about being a part and a partner with you in decision-making, Lord. But help us always to entrust those details and the outcome of things to you. And Lord, I ask your blessing on all the folks here that are in the midst of making plans for the future. And I know there's many, Lord, new families, new jobs, careers, um, choices to make. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would be in the details, that we'd see your hand at work in those, and that our hearts would be at rest, knowing that you do all things well. In Jesus' name, amen.